Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We love hearing and sharing stories about social innovation happening both locally and outside our borders in the Global South. In Season 2, we put the spotlight on the changemakers behind some incredibly innovative approaches and solutions for creating systemic change. And we're also curious to find out what keeps them going. Join us as we discover how these changemakers are changing the way we're changing the world. Welcome to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast with me, your host, Fergus Turner. In Nairobi, Kenya, I was amazed to see a 3D printing business set up on a street corner, merrily printing everyday objects for passers-by, recalls Ramesh Srinivasan in his article on tech website Wired. Their custom 3D printers, which make everything from medical devices to household appliances, were cobbled together from circuits and wires salvaged from dumps and recycling centers. Not only are they a fraction of the cost of Chinese and even American printers, they are also far more robust and resilient, able to withstand the heat, noise and elements of this East African country. Why? Because they were designed by Kenyans for their local environment and fellow countrymen. Not all entrepreneurs are created equal. Sure, we all admire the entrepreneurial work that gets done in Silicon Valley in Sweden, and we'd struggle to get by without some of the innovations that make their way from the north to the south. With massive capital behind them, they make it look so easy. In Africa and the global south, however, the narrative is different. Being an entrepreneur in Africa requires perseverance and passion. It's not an easy road to embark upon due to the lack of funding structures, youth entrepreneurship policies, networks, skills training, and mentorship. And then, of course, the red tape that comes with registering a business. Today, we are zooming in on an initiative that catalyzes high-impact entrepreneurship in Africa, namely Jasiri. Jasiri selects, develops, and invests in high-potential aspiring entrepreneurs and guides program participants from idea generation, validation, prototyping, all the way to venture creation. Supported by the Allen and Jill Gray Foundation, Jasiri believes that catalyzing high-impact entrepreneurial success requires a patient, holistic, and contextualized approach. Programs are designed to systematically identify and remove regionally specific potential stumbling blocks on the entrepreneurial journey of an individual, team, and business. What makes it so outstanding is the fact that Jasiri is not about simply funding the idea phase of promising entrepreneurial ventures. Instead, they commit to a year-long journey with the fellows, focusing on holistic development of the individual as well as the business. Jasiri has been working with the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship to embed a systems approach into their program. 30 fellows from across Rwanda and Kenya have been participating in this program. And today I'm so excited to be talking to Daniel Hampton, Head of Programs at Jasiri, Akeliza Kezantwadi, Jasiri Program Lead, Brian Simuyu, and Peace Iragua, who are current Jasiri Fellows. Thank you so much, Daniel, Akeliza, Brian, and Peace for being with us today. I'm really very excited for this exchange, for this conversation, especially after having been honored to share alongside colleague Kente Khadebe some of the journey with you and your team. Um, but before we move any further into the real uh, meat of the topic, I wanted to first 
refer back to this word, this name, Jasiri. Um, back in the beginning, the first um, session where we were all together back in April, um, there was a real um, exploration of why Jasiri? What does this mean? And so before we get going, I'd like to ask if each of you could just um, introduce yourselves and introduce what Jasiri means to you at this stage of the program. And I'd like to kick off with Brian. For me, Jasiri means that it is possible. And uh, we have to be bold enough as African entrepreneurs to internalize that it is possible. Uh, in fact, I will quickly quote a science that I borrowed from Jasiri and is very quickly becoming one of my favorites. It's called the Shram's Law. For our audience, that's spelled S-C-H-R-A-M-M. And it argues the single most important contributor to a nation's economic growth is the number of startups that, that grow to a billion dollars in revenue within 20 years. As far as African system change is concerned, especially from the perspective of the entrepreneur, I think this will be one of the most important tenets for the remainder of the century. What the theory uh, is about is now uh, taking over the whole uh, ecosystems, changing the systems, and making Africa a better place for everyone. For everyone. Yes, well, um, you know, Peace and Brian have put it so beautifully. Uh, what these young entrepreneurs are doing um, in these times is incredibly brave. There's, it's incredibly brave nowadays just to, just to walk out your door, but to to now take that decision to to start a business and to um, commit to this program um, all this time and uh, to take the chance on um, meeting uh, a, a co-founder. It's 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 very exciting, but um, you know, it's a huge risk as well. Absolutely, if there was ever a time where of being bold and reaching um, for those those heights of ambition that make systems change a possibility, then now is probably the most challenging of times. But over to you, Daniel, as head of program design at Jasiri, what does what has that word come to represent for you, and how does that sort of describe the relevance of this program at this time? Primarily, it's a it's a call. It's a call to the the potential entrepreneurs that um, that we want to try and guide into entrepreneurship. Um, and and as Akalisa said, it's a it's a massive thing. It requires full commitment. What we're asking, and particularly our focus on on market creating innovations, that it requires a, a commitment to the unknown uh, for the for the fellows uh, for the potential entrepreneurs as well. It requires a deep dive. Um, into areas where often there's not a, not a lot of precedent, where there's not a lot of uh, immediate data available, and a full commitment to that, um, and that's really what what we're trying to get to with 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 the word is that it really it, it's a it's a jump off the cliff, um, full commitment, um, and 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 seek out um, seek out the way to build the plane on the way down. Thank you for that, Daniel. Um, it, you know, I think um, it's very clear that from the onset, uh, you and your team has put a lot of attention into the personal and individual experiences of, of an inspiring entrepreneur, recognizing that that internal process is just as important as the process of building those market creating innovations and doing the requisite research and tools building and practice building. And, and this, this, this focus on this internal 
um, sort of personal development seems to be a hallmark of the program. Of course, uh, the program is runs over the course of a full 12 month track. And in a way, one could say that there's the pre business talent investor period of the program and then the accelerator, which, of course, again, being the inaugural program, Jasiri program, um, this, this is, as you say, this is also the program itself is, is, is building the plan as we go. Um, but if you could talk a little more about these, um, these two segments of the program and perhaps a little more detail about uh, what a Jasiri fellow may experience in the process of engaging in this program and cohort. Great. So, so I think um, there are two stages along, along the journey. I think that and the accelerator program is uh, it's, and accelerator programs in general are, are quite known quantities. I think that's that's not an area where we're going to be doing much different from what you might see in um, in other accelerator programs. Um, so the accelerator program will start once the teams have 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 got a sense that they've found a solution that really works, where they've run as many tests as they need to to really think that they've got something worth worth. Uh, um, worth um, building on, and that's a process of then formalizing that and making sure that they have everything they need in order to to turn that into a business that that can grow beyond that. Where we're focused at the moment, and 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 the talent investor um, is really the less known quantity, and and where we're we're, we're focusing the bulk of um, of our attention, and really where the innovation is coming in, and that's uh, that's as as you've explained it, the 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 definition of a talent investor, which are that there are various of these popping up, um, is that a talent investor seeks out an individual and focuses on an individual, not a business. So it specifically looks for people who are not currently running a business. They may have some ideas. They may that we 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 look for people that that have uh, um, deep deep expertise within an area, but that aren't yet working on an idea, haven't settled on an idea, and haven't yet uh, started a business. Um, and there's there's a couple of reasons for that, and a couple of reasons why that's really important within within the African context in in particular. Um, and that's uh, the, the the confluence there is uh, high high potential um, entrepreneurs or or really kind of talented young Africans um, tend to face significant challenges. Um, that that are that are quite different from from the Western counterparts in in being able to take the initial steps into entrepreneurship. Um, and, and I think that's why we see overwhelmingly that, um, that, that um, high impact, high growth entrepreneurs tend to be um, from Western countries at, at the moment. And, and a lot of the reason for that is that that first couple of years um, where there really needs to be the space to be able to explore, to fail, to, to try things out, um, those the entrepreneurs in, in, in more developed countries tend to be funded by families. They tend to be funded by uh, by, by by fairly easygoing, fairly relaxed capital um, that's close to them um, that allows them that space. Um, where the people providing that capital are more interested in them as individuals than they are in any kind of return in in, in the short term. Um, but what what we mostly see, or we see um, a lot in in the African continent, is that um, there's a lot of first generation graduates with, within this really talented pool of people that have the capacity to be able to build a big internationally um, relevant high growth business. Um, 
and they've got they've got a lot of responsibilities uh, to their family rather than the other way around. Um, and so that risk profile for them to be able to potentially not have an income um, extends beyond them. Um, and, and so that that barrier to entry for the most talented people that are really needed in order to grow these kind of uh, businesses is that much higher. Um, so, so the vehicle of a talent investor that allows us to step into that space. It allows us to identify those people that, that the biggest impact they can be making on the continent and on the world is in entrepreneurship, but, but their personal circumstances may not allow that kind of space to be able to have that, um, that period of time to find, to, to kind of dig beneath the obvious, to look into systems, to try to find, um, to find those, uh, those opportunities that are really worth, uh, exploring. Um, so, so what we want to do is, uh, is, is really to, to empower that group of people to be able to jump into entrepreneurship and to give them the space to experiment. I mean, I think that obviously becomes much the, 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 the other aspects here is that we, we've got a lot of asymmetrical and non-existent market data, um, on, on the continent, or at least it's, uh, the, the market data is, is very scant in comparison to other markets. And so that actually requires even more time. To really dig in to try and find uh, find these big opportunities, but it also means that there's 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 a larger um, possibility for opportunity because that that lack of data is both a hindrance and it's an opportunity as it's a barrier to entry for for other companies for other for other organisations. So so we really want to provide this kind of patient time, this blank slate, and this full focus um, to really high potential entrepreneurs um, for them to be able to dig in. Um, and and uh, and and build a company that's really worth building. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, you know, <clears throat> it's it's remarkable even just in listening you describe it um, through these lenses. It's remarkable to to uh, to see the degree to which the program um, all at once focuses so much on that context, on that context, that experience, that individual reality. Um, in the in the um, you know the in the entrepreneurial space and entrepreneurial um, experience, but at the same time has such a such a systems oriented approach to looking at um, market creating innovations, to looking at the kinds of undiscovered markets and opportunities that exist, uh, and which may be levers for massive change. Um, but coming back to this personal experience of the entrepreneur and the groundedness um, of the program, I wanted to ask you, Akilize, if you could share a little more, perhaps a couple of examples of the kinds of questions, problem areas, um, opportunities, challenges that teams and fellows um, are currently looking at, just to to give our audience a, a, a sense of how to hook into the material that the fellows, the Jusiri fellows are dealing with. It's been really exciting to see how many different ideas have come up, how many different spaces they're working in. We have um, several teams looking into the financial space. Obviously, uh, technology is probably coming into play in every single um, team that we've seen formed. So there's fintech, um, edtech, uh, biotechnology, it's been very broad. Uh, what what I think they found the most, well, I'll allow Peace and Brian probably to answer what they found the most useful. But um, just from the outside looking in, uh, I think it's it's 
the, this prospecting stage that they've been going through, um, that we've begged them to be uh, patient and uh, and slow in that process, um, really getting to know who their customer is and also just uh, encouraging them not to to be too hooked on the solution at the beginning and uh, really tear it apart and uh, present it to each other and uh, be open to feedback and to sort of have this mindset where, whereas, you know, for myself, I, I, you know, I also have the experience of being in entrepreneurship programs and usually the idea is that you have this solution already packaged and you're coming and presenting it and you have to be ready to defend it at, at all costs and that's the only way you're going to get your funding. Um, whereas in this program, we're encouraging them to to present it, but be very, but to be very open to to the feedback from from their fellows and from um, the different facilitators we're working uh, with, and to be prepared to throw it out the window and um, go back to the drawing board, and to be comfortable with that, and to um, recognize that as as a healthy as a healthy approach and that they should carry with them throughout their, their journeys even beyond just Siri. So that, I think that's what I've been finding the most exciting and interesting to watch. Thank you so much. That merging that um, courage, boldness of Jasiri with the patience and curiosity can sometimes I'm sure feel like quite a tension um, and feel quite at odds. So over to you, Peace, Brian, you could share from your perspective how has this program been for you both personally but also as budding entrepreneurs yourselves so i'm privileged that instead of having to travel to silicon valley or shanghai to internalize some of these concepts jasiri has managed to create a safe space of diverse entrepreneurs brilliant minds i should add where you can grow as an individual guided by a mentor who helps you with self-coping and as a team where you're coached by world-class facilitators, such as those who are represented by the Bartha Center, uh, who help you with your idea progression. And uh, furthermore, for your opportunity assessment, you have uh, leading industry players who consult and advise you accordingly through a brain trust model. And uh, personally, if I were to be honest, I don't think it gets any better in the continent. Uh, I believe this will be one of the most remarkable uh, initiatives uh, moving forward. Thank you, Brian. Peace. Okay, so for me, I'll say uh, first, I consider myself lucky to be part of the first cohort of the program. As I said earlier, I, I believe Jasiri to be a move. We have first amazing facilitators. We have access to uh, experts in the field, mentors all the way. And as Akaliza was saying, we we the approach we're going with is really different from what has been being done because they give us time first to fall in love with the problem and they really believe that that uh, affects on a huge percentage the solution you're going to come up with the sustainability of the solution you're going to come up with so we're given time no pressure you sit down get to understand the problem, talk to your customers, get the guidance you need. The facilitators are there all the way and also the mentorship. So you have 
everything. You have everything to come up with a great market creating innovation. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a catch saying in design thinking that goes something like a, um, a well-defined problem is more valuable than a badly defined solution. Um, and similarly, in the systems, uh, systems practitioner literature, they say that the, the more time we're able to really spend empathizing and connecting with the problem with the market, with the environment that we are curious about, uh, the more we're able to recognize our own part in it, um, our own part in um, that environment, in that ecosystem, rather than seeing ourselves as these objective outsiders trying to solve for uh, one particular solution. I want to drill down a little more, uh, Brian, your experience as it pertains to your specific problems, your specific systems that you are looking at. Um, just again, to give our audience a, a, a sense, an idea of the kinds of um, questions and challenges that you're looking at. So, Brian, again, over to you. If you could just give us an insight or, a, or, a, or an idea, a window into what you and your team are looking at. Uh, we're using big data as a lens to uh, solve problems inherent in uh, uh, financial literacy, uh, to be exact. And uh, the way I'd uh, speak to it, well, it will be say it will be by saying that uh, globally, entrepreneurs innovate. That's what entrepreneurs do. And there's a lot of focus on the disruptive elements in the developed world when talking innovation, because there's a lot of incumbents that need to be nudged or displaced entirely. Here in Africa, there is a need, uh, they are far in between. They're indeed far in between the, the, the so-called incumbents. So Africa needs innovations that focus on struggles that directly inhibit consumption. Uh, keywords here have to be struggle that a lot of Africans are familiar with and non-consumption coming from the aforementioned inhibited consumption. Also a very common theme in the continent uh, in this sense, at Jasiri, we turn a lot to the Clayton Christian, uh, Christensen Institute framework of market-creating innovations that speak a lot to these concerns. Uh, I should add that these are not exact sciences, and as a team, we're not moving as such, but we know that they're a great guide to uh, the lighthouse, and we feel we'll get there. This relationship between systems change and entrepreneurship is something that we at the Bertha Center are obviously very curious about. Um, so over to you, Dan, if you could share a little more about your thoughts and perhaps some of your learnings over the course of this program thus far about the role of entrepreneurship as a catalyst for systems change. Uh, what, At first glance, it seems obvious, but what are some of the the deeper insights that perhaps have come to you over the course of this program so far? With the lens of looking at, at entrepreneurship and, 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 and systems change, um, I think something that's been quite interesting is we, no matter, no matter the fact that we've taken this very, that we're about the most kind of in terms of timelines, patient program that, that I think I've ever seen, but, but I think given the complexities of digging into systems and, and trying to get really to the core of, of problems in, a, in an environment that's, that's not got a lot of uh, immediately available data really does take time. Um, and I think we've got, a, we've got another lens now to, to just how much time and how much effort um, is needed in these early stages. Um, and 
that together with this with this extra complication of of, of having this cohort uh, find each other, find the community, kind of make the connections they need to make uh, with each other, um, which are, which are also just incredibly important and uh, um, in 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 their in their journey forward and in, in, in finding the mix of competencies and the mix of backgrounds the mix of experience that really works for them to make something special um but this is something that can't be rushed um and and i think as as we've moved through this we're we're getting an even deeper sense of just of just how much time is necessary um to to allow this this the space to play and and space to explore and space to 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 experiment both both in building those relationships and then in um in looking outward into um uh, into the markets, into the communities around, um, as 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 we as we prospect for the for that hidden gold. Thank you so much, Daniel. I was wondering, um, just uh, speaking of this process of of application um, for prospective fellows for candidates, um, peace. Um, if you could share, um, you know, recognizing that you you associate Siri with this idea of it's a move, it's a move, it's it's a call. Um, well, in that case, who is the ideal Jasiri candidate? Um, what what kind of characteristics so that those listening can understand and get a feeling for whether they connect and resonate with the idea of becoming a Jasiri fellow? If you could just share with us a little more about how you would characterize the ideal candidate for the program. I'd say uh, an ideal candidate for the program First, you have to be brave, as in, as the name says, because as Daniel said, it's even the selection process is as far as possible from easy, but so as uh, also coming up with uh, market creating innovation is not easy. So you have to be brave. You have to have the hunger because it requires a deep drive for you to first get selected, but then the work now comes when you're selected. You have to put in the the efforts. You have to understand what you're actually after. So you have to have that hunger of uh, uh, engaging in nation building, uh, changing the systems, and going for something bigger. So I wonder, Daniel, if you could tell us a little bit more about the selection process and perhaps for, for our listeners to know a little bit more about how they can be involved or find out more or even apply. The applications are, are already open for cohort two. Um, our, our selection process, I'm sure Peace and Brian would, would uh, fill, fill you in on it. So it's, it's, it's a pretty laborious thing to get through. Um, we're, we're, we're trying as hard as possible in our selection process to, to, um, to make it as, as objective as we can, um, and as repeatable as we can in, in terms of trying to identify this, this, this kind of fuzzy concept of entrepreneurial potential. Um, and we've, we've got, we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of history with this. Um, the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation in South Africa has been following a similar model for nearly 15 years now. Um, and and I think the, the the starkest way to kind of put this is I think most most of the programs that you see of this nature these kind of selection programs are are based off an interview with a with a company director or similar, um, and 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 really rely a lot on uh, chemistry, um, and 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 gut reaction of, of of those making the decisions. And we're really trying to bring as much uh, scientific rigor as we can and and as much research as we can to the process. Um, so it's it's this balance of um, 
of of psychometric evaluations of, of of looking at past experience of looking at kind of depth depth of knowledge within an industry um looking at entrepreneurial intention um um the the level of ambition and, and we try and use as far as possible tools that that are repeatable tools that that are objective tools that 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 cross cross cultures um so so that so that we are we know that we're getting a cohort um that really does have the the competencies the backgrounds that we need and that it's a process that we can that we can repeat and repeat and repeat um so it does it does require a lot of time it requires a lot of effort it's quite a learning experience for anyone who does apply so even those who who don't make it through into the into the final group um the 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 selection process has been structured as a learning journey and as a, a journey of self-discovery um that that brings a lot of value to those even who who don't make it through the various stages um so that is open um the the application is up on our website at jaseri.org thank you all for making this happen first and foremost it's been an absolute pleasure and Daniel, Akiliza, Brian, Heath, thank you so much for being on Just For A Change uh, this afternoon. We really appreciate your time. Hi, this is Kinsi Khadebe hosting this Positive Outlook segment. The entrepreneurship space is broad and dynamic. While Jasiri focuses on entrepreneurs with past experience, be that from the corporate world or from past entrepreneurial ventures, the Raymond Ackerman Academy, also known as RAA, focuses on preparing and mobilizing another group of entrepreneurially minded or perhaps just creative, curious people, those finishing high school and others who have had limited access to tertiary opportunities. RAA is a post-matric level academy that offers an inspiring and innovative six-month full-time program in entrepreneurial development. The course empowers young people by developing them personally, building their entrepreneurial mindsets and teaching them business skills. Ultimately, the Academy wishes to assist individuals with creating their personal and entrepreneurial vision. The approach is to grow the person, then the business. Today, I'm excited to chat to Ayanda Guba, an RAA alumni who launched ABC Concepts, a lifestyle marketing tourism startup based in the heart of Kailicha. Ayanda, welcome to the Just for a Change podcast. We're really delighted to have you here with us. I think I'm particularly excited because a couple of weeks ago, we'd met with some of the RAA team members and they were chatting about the program and how amazing it is. And we were all having FOMO, just listening to what the entrepreneurial process and support is like. So I wanted to just maybe start right there at the beginning of your journey with RAA. How did you find out about the program? What motivated you to apply? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a mouthful to be honest, but Ngozi, um, Kinsey for this, the, this time and recapping, cause I think it was what, seven years ago now. And with the RAA, I, I have a couple of friends who were within my circle that were graduates. And for me, what was really interesting was they went to the program and they came out like doing like super great, cool ideas. Um, and somehow I became curious. Like when I met Usis, where doing years of experience, I was like, wait, 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 what is this? And then I met Lufefe talking a lot about the spinach bread. And then Umeli had recently just launched the hub space. I was like, wait, are all you guys like graduates from the RAA? So what's happening there? So I had FOMO basically. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of went on a whim, decided to apply and went on the interview. And I think it was 
one of the best decisions that I think we make for ourselves because it was my own personal experience. As much as the guys had gone through the program before me, but when I was there, I got a different experience. So I too, at the end of the six months, became an alumni and we were all now RAA graduates, not just friends, but everyone, we all came through the same academy, basically. Sure. Ayanda, it's so amazing that you list all of these people. I'm getting like FOMO hearing you speak about the different people that have come through this program. But when you mention all of these people, you make me think about something that I'm constantly thinking about whenever I'm Ekailicha or Relanga. It's about how our our townships are really these spaces that bring together people in in, in community, but also are real entrepreneurial ecosystems. And we sometimes don't think about them as those kinds of spaces. What role do you think entrepreneurship has to play in our own communities, but also around being a systems catalyzer for South Africa? For the best part, I think independence is one of the biggest things that everyone like strives for. Um, I really feel that at, at, a, at a certain age, we always aspire to have control. And for most of us, having that opportunity to just kickstart your idea or start a business gives you some kind of in an independent feeding where in our communities where a lot of people are highly reliant on jobs, um, whether it's in government, whether it's in the public sector, you being able to create for yourselves gives you that room to not only create something that's meaningful for yourself, but also something that in the end of the day gets shared with your community and just kickstart a process of inspiring other young people. So I just believe entrepreneurship as a whole gives us as township dwellers the opportunity to really start putting the building blocks to reshaping our societies. And for our generation in particular, compared to our parents, we're much more socially driven. So we try to address a lot of the ills that we see around us through creative solutions. And that's how we then play our role to make sure that the next generation has a start. Sure. Um, There's so much that you're saying there that resonates with me, but I think maybe this is a good opportunity for us to tell us a little bit about your company, ABC Concepts, how did it come together? We know that you also have a business partner, Ubuntu Matole. What was that journey like? Uh, we met day one at the RAA, <laughs> strangely enough. And he introduced himself thinking he was the only one from Ekailicha. And he always had this tagline, hi, everyone, my name is Ubuntu from Ekailicha, just wanting to own that. And... Strangely enough, I was sitting in the back because I've always been that kid. Like uh, I've enjoyed the back, the back seat, whether it was in the bus, whether it was in the classroom, because it, it was kind of like you don't get the attention, but you keep up with everyone else who's sitting at the front. Uh, so when we met, we we vibed based on the energy that we were all like giving off, but also I think it was a, a time where most of us were really looking for peer motivation. So on Saturdays, we'd all get together, we'd work through assignments, we'd basically assist one another on some of the things that we saw lacking. Like if I was good in computers or if I had been exposed to laptops longer than my friend. So I'm there to just show you, give you a few pointers, or if you were exposed to a different industry or space, like it was just that. So 2015, we came together and was like, fam, what are you doing um, now? The program is over. And it was like, I just want to do something positive for my community. He was wanting to do something with sports. I had been doing something with events in the past. So I was like, we might as well try out sports events and then try and also work with schools 
and in the process, test it out. Just see where this goes. So ABCD was the name we chose when we had to be formally registered. We didn't think about what the business was going to become. We just knew we want to do everything right from the get-go. And we want to have a registered entity so that whenever we have to comply, we have the right documents. And then we rolled with the punches, new opportunities came. We weren't shy on embracing those opportunities. We just took everything as a learning experience and decided to evolve the business, the mature it became. And the, and the older I think, the more older we got, the more experience we had, the learnings, hey, the first year, zero income. Like, <laughs> it was all pure passion. Like the transport was the two series that is our food. We would walk everywhere the first year. But then you learn and you just, I think you, you learn to get through the hard times by embracing the change, but also by just taking on the hardships. If it, if it was easy from the get-go, I don't think we would have been where we are right now. Basically. That's amazing. That's amazing. Fantastic work. Ayanda, can you tell us a little bit more about ABCD Concepts, your business model? What is it that you do? And what are some of the organizations that you've collaborated with? Uh, so we, we basically, uh, I think we sell access. That's what I say. And when I say we sell access, we sell access through meaningful experiences that people get to have in communities like Ekailicha. And that could be either be a, a tour, that could either be like an educational um, that could even be like a partnership, like what we did with Airbnb, where we were working with them on the Airbnb Africa Academy, an opportunity like for anyone who wants to venture and become a tourism entrepreneur, basically. Uh, we started on Airbnb back in 2015, no, 2016, actually, when they were launching experiences in South Africa and South Africa was listed as like the one of the few countries globally to now start having experiences. And in Cape Town, Cape Town was like the, the only destination in the country at the time. And we were the only guys coming from Ekailicha to have an experience. And I think a handful of guys from any township. So that was like our kickstart into the whole tourism industry. And from there, we had to pivot and become tourism entrepreneurs as well. So we've been it for a minute now. And I think we've had a, a bigger impact where we've partnered up with Cape Town Tourism. We've worked recently with um, SA Tourism, where we shot something on Expresso. Uh, we've worked with Remote Year, which is um, a one-year trip around the world where you get to live and work remotely in like 10 different countries. So we host them when they are here in Cape Town um, in partnership with their Cape Town base. And yeah, we've even worked with Mr. Gay World, where we did the first ever township triathlon. Um, which is just unpacking like the three tourism components that we have, which is cycling, running and walking. But for us, we just had to make it feel like it's a it's an authentic township concept. So the guys jogged a seven, seven kilometer distance, took bikes from the Spinach King. They cycled a three kilometer distance and then they had to walk up the walkway, which is at the lookout hill to get to the top. So we've, been trying to push the boundaries in terms of like how we have people experience townships specifically because as much as South Africa is a beautiful country we don't feel that outside of Isoweto or other communities are given the same recognition where they thrive and they really start owning that their identity so we're trying to push Kailicha to be like that as well. 
Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ayanda. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and just learning from your experiences. Today, we have been able to look at more than one entrepreneurial journey where the models differ significantly. What we definitely can say is that no matter which door someone enters the world of entrepreneurship from, they will need a lot of scaffolding. It's not realistic to think that a person can simply jump ship, leave their paying job and dive straight into the world of entrepreneurship. That's why programs such as what Jasiri offers, which fully funds a person for a year, is key. For someone just leaving school and joining a Raymond Ackman Academy program, for example, the dive into entrepreneurship might be slightly less daunting because they aren't necessarily putting a paying job at stake. However, that doesn't mean they need less support. With sufficient support, entrepreneurs will be critical catalysts for systems change on the African continent and other countries and cities in the global south. It's an opportunity not to be missed. Thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of the Just for a Change podcast, powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're curious about what innovations are happening in Africa and the Global South, and who the movers and shakers behind these initiatives are, then make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes.